So I wonder how far into the new year you were when the first problem happened. <laughs> I don't know about you, but do you ever feel almost like it's a new year, it's, it's going to be different? Now you know in your head that it isn't, but you've got this sort of thing going on, it's a new year, so therefore things, you know, are going to change. Last Sunday was last year, so last Sunday was tomorrow. You know, it's a new year, it's a new slate, it's, it's all clean, it's all fresh and shiny, how lovely. How long was it into the new year? How long after Monday morning was it when you realised that actually life was the same as it had been the day before? I want to read some words from James chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. And it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James doesn't mince his words, does he? James was probably the brother of Jesus. Jesus had a brother called James, and this is the person that they think wrote the book in around 40 to 45 AD, so not very long after Jesus. And at this time, churches had grown from the initial place in Jerusalem, and they'd spread out. They weren't particularly experiencing mass persecution, but there were some difficulties. So perhaps it was something like socially, if you admitted to being a follower of Jesus, you'd be a bit of an outcast. There were some economic difficulties, perhaps along the lines of, well, you're a Christian, I'm not going to do business with you. So life for these first generation Christ followers wasn't necessarily dangerous at that stage, but it wasn't easy either. And James writes to these people and says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, what would your response be to that, do you think? You're struggling, you're suffering from a trial, and this guy comes along and says, consider it all joy. Would you? Or would you feel like going, oh, I'll listen to you? Just be honest. You know, things haven't changed in many ways. We all face trials of many kinds. What is your response when you face a trial? Is it joy? Or is it something else? I think we can respond in lots of different ways when we have trials. There's the go to bed and hide, bury my head in the sand and hope it goes away method of dealing with trials, isn't there? Have you ever watched a young child playing hide and seek and it's their turn to hide and they go and stand by a wall and they cover their face? <laughs> Because they have this sort of crazy idea when they're really little that if they can't see you, you can't see them. And sometimes it's like that with issues, isn't it? If we cover our face, if we pretend, and maybe it won't be there. Perhaps we distract ourselves 
you know. It's easy to do that, isn't it, with food sometimes. Sometimes people use drink to do that. Sometimes people, oh, we'll watch, I'm sorry about, yeah. We'll watch the telly, we'll watch that show. We'll do something. We'll distract ourselves. Maybe if you have a financial issue, it's easy when those letters come through the door to think, if I just put them in the drawer and shut the drawer, they've gone away. It's not there. Maybe if you realise you've got a medical problem, if I don't go to the GP, it'll not be there. It, it, it won't. And, and often when we face trials and we deal with it in this way, it can get worse. Sometimes we can even spiritualise it and say, well, if I don't say it, it, it's not really there. You know, if I say it, somehow I'm accepting it as a, as a problem, as a trial. But if I don't say it, it's not going to be there. So that's one way where we can try and, and get around trials. We, we bury our heads in the sand and we pretend it goes away. Another way, and this is the, the, the thing I tend to do, is you can be a fixer. I'll sort it out. I'll deal with it. Are you like that, some of you? I'll sort it, I'll do something, I'll wangle something, I will make it work if it kills me, and sometimes it nearly does. We go into overthinking, we go into overdrive, and the outcome can be that we end up drained and exhausted. Now, I'd like to put a little caveat in here, all right? If when you get home you find your roof is leaking, it's okay to be a fixer, ring the plumber or a roofer or whatever, and get it sorted out. You know, you may have noticed our crèche is out of bounds at the moment because we've had a leak over Christmas through the roof and we are putting things into place to get it mended so that that room will be operational again. It's okay to fix things when the solution is obvious and we just fix it. But sometimes in the trials of life, we can't fix the problem and we have to not try. We could ask God to remove the problem. Now, that's a good idea, isn't it? It's better, yeah, God, take this trial away. But what happens if God doesn't? And what happens if we pray and pray and pray and the issue stays and stays and stays? If you were on the church prayer app this morning, um, Dave um, Lee shared that with verses that talks about the, the thorn in the flesh and God's grace being sufficient. God doesn't always remove our trials away from us. So let's say we've got a trial and we prayed and we prayed and it just seems to keep going. What do we do? Sometimes if we're not careful, we can go into blame. Let's blame God. Because after all, if God loved me, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Maybe God's left me. Maybe God doesn't care. Is God actually good? We can blame God and that leads to doubt. Or maybe we blame ourselves. Now, sometimes when we're going for a trial, we are the person who should be blamed because it's because we've done something a bit daft. And uh, actually, some of it is down to what we've done. And sometimes blaming ourselves, there might be some truth in that. But you see, blame doesn't actually help. If we do realise, actually, this is a result of something I've done wrong, then repentance is the way forward. Maybe we think, well, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough faith. If I had enough faith, God would have removed this trial from me. I'm blaming myself. Or perhaps we blame the devil. 
Now, he may be involved or one of his helpers. The devil is not everywhere at once. And sometimes I think we say, oh, well, it's the devil, it's the enemy, and we know what we mean, but actually, you know, he isn't that powerful to be everywhere at once. He has demons that help him. And if we're not careful, if we blame the devil, we can get this idea that he's as powerful as God and it's like an equal thing going on and it isn't. So all of these answers, to, to all of these responses to unanswered prayer, we could blame God, we could blame ourselves, we could blame the enemy. They only lead us in one direction, don't they? A downward spiral. And James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Can you hear that James suggests a different way of dealing with trials? What if we see trials not as something to be got rid of as soon as possible or something to blame God or ourselves or the enemy for, not something to be hidden from or fixed, but as a test and an opportunity to strengthen our faith? Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't really like James so far. Because this is all a bit difficult, isn't it? You know, we love creating, we love proclaiming scripture, don't we? But how many people ever proclaim, consider it pure joy, when you face trials? It's not a popular one. But you know, it wasn't just James. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 1. Starting at verse 3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, Peter says the same thing. For a little while you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And it says, Peter says, you know, these are people who are shielded by God's power. And yet they're still suffering trials and grief. Don't ever think that because you're struggling with something or suffering something or going through a trial, somehow God has taken his hand off you. Because actually he says, no, you're someone who is shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed. And yet you can still go through a trial. You see, trials have a purpose I know we'd rather they didn't, wouldn't we? We'd rather they went away. We'd rather have a happy, jolly life with no problems, wouldn't we? Let's just be honest, of course we would. But God allows us to face trials. They have a purpose. Over Christmas, there was a lot of storms, wasn't there? And a lot of rain. Oh, goodness me, what a lot of rain. Even for Britain, that was a lot of rain. 
And um, there's a road not too far from where we live, and I walk up and down this road quite often, and along the verge there's trees. And they're not huge trees, they're probably <coughs> twice as tall as me, perhaps. They're not massive, massive trees, but, but not very young either. And over the Christmas period, during one of the storms, one of them came down. And as I was walking towards it, thinking, oh, am I going to get around that? I'm not climbing over. I thought, gosh, that must have left a big hole in the verge. But when I got there and looked, I realised it actually hadn't. There was barely anything. It was a little little dip. See, that tree had got very, very, very shallow roots and consequently a big puff of wind and down it went across the pavement. Now, I don't know if you've ever planted a tree in a garden, but the temptation isn't it to like, right, I'm going to water this. Now, to be fair, that's a good thing to do. We water and we water and we water. You've got to let it settle in and all of those kind of things. Don't know what the technical term is for that, but you've got to let it bed itself in and all the rest of it. But if all we do with a tree is keep watering and watering and watering and watering, it's not doing it any good. Because what happens is its roots are going, oh, thank you very much, that's a nice drink. And then you get another lot, oh, thank you. And, you know, the water's all near the top. And the roots don't need to grow down deep because the water's all, everything it needs is up near the surface. You see, trees don't only need water, they also need drought. They need a few days where you're not watering them, maybe not right at the beginning, but, you know, once they're established. They need some days where actually they're going, ooh, it's a bit dry up here. What am I going to do? I need some water. Let's send the roots down a bit and see if we can find some. And gradually, for a tree to be healthy, if it has periods of rain and periods of drought, the roots will go down deeper and deeper and deeper. And you know, we're the same. If we never have any hard times or trials, we never get the opportunity to test our faith. We never have the opportunity to put our roots down deep into God. And when trials come, we can fall. And often you'll find when someone becomes a Christian and they're all new and bubbly and really, really, you know, excited about their faith. Often they go through a lot of time where it's, you know, it's blessing upon blessing and that's great. And then suddenly they hit a trial and they're like, oh gosh, what happened? And if they're not careful, can think, oh, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I've done wrong and you know what I mean? But no, 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 no. What it means is actually, if you can't sense God's presence this week the way that maybe you did last week, you've got to go and spend more time with him. You've got to read his word. You've got to grow those roots down deeper. Don't bail out, but say, right, how can I find what I need in God? I've got to dig a bit deeper, you know? I don't think this ever happens here, but if you need to dig down to find water, it's not on the surface often. Often you have to dig down. It's like being on the beach, isn't it? You know, when you go on the beach and the sand is really dry on top, but you know if you dig down, not very far, you'll find water, depending on where you are. Dig down further and further. And we've got to get that with God, that when we feel like we're facing trials, this isn't the time to bail out. This is the time to go, no, I've got to dig deeper. I've got to dig deeper. I've got to find that refreshment for my soul. And you know, we learn through practice, the, the verses talked about perseverance. And perseverance is a bit like practice. Years ago, I used to teach the piano. 
and uh, I used to have up to about 25 students a week coming into and they'd come in every week and they'd get their music out and they'd put it on the stand and they'd tootle through their little pieces and quite often there'd be some mistakes surprisingly or not and I don't know how much practice some of them did some of them you could tell not a lot some of them you're like oh you have actually practiced this week but what I used to find was very often they'd play the piece make a mistake correct the mistake and carry on And what they were teaching their fingers to do was to play the piece, make a mistake, correct it and carry on. And I used to say, no, 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 you've got to stop. You've got to look at the bit where you're making a mistake. You've got to go over that bit again until you get it right. Then put it back in the music, then play it again and hopefully this time you get it right instead of wrong. And that's a little bit like trials. This is a bit like the perseverance that the scripture talks about. But, you know, if you want to be a professional musician, you see, at my level, you practice until you get it right. If you want to be really, really good, you practice until you can't get it wrong. I'm not there. But that's what you do. You practice until you you, you literally have it so ingrained in you, you cannot get it wrong. And that's a little bit like the perseverance, I think, that James is talking about. To start with, we make mistakes, we get it wrong. We correct the mistakes. But we've got to try and come to a point where we, rather than make a mistake, get it wrong, put it right. That's okay. We have to get to the point where we go, actually, how can I make it so actually I don't make that mistake? Or how do I get to the point where actually I just can't get this wrong? I'm so persevered with it. And James called that of being complete and mature. Testing of our faith produces perseverance and that leads to maturity. Or in Peter's case, he said it proves our faith is real to the glory of God. Of course, we can go back. We can reject this and go back to the, well, if God, let, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen approach. But we know where this gets us. We can continue to fight against this idea of trials and eventually bail out and even lose our faith completely. But how do we handle trials well? James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What we probably need most of all when we're facing trials is wisdom. How many of us, when we face a trial, make a prayer for wisdom, the first prayer that we pray? First prayer is probably, help! (laughs) That's okay. But along that, along that journey and a trial, at some point we've got to say, hey God, I need your wisdom in how to handle this. You've allowed this trial to come into my life. Give me wisdom of how to handle it best for your glory. Now this doesn't mean we reject the idea of healing or financial provision or all of those things that God blesses us with. But we have to get his wisdom on, what God, on this trial, what do you want to do? What are you trying to teach me? How do you want me to play this? Or we go straight to God and say, God, please take this trial away because I want a comfortable life. Trials happen. 
Stop, wait, pray for wisdom. And then once we've prayed, we have to believe and not doubt. Don't pray for wisdom and then go back to burying your head in the sand or fixing or blaming. Pray for wisdom and expect in faith that God will give it to you. God loves to give us wisdom. You know, King Solomon in the Old Testament asked God for wisdom in 2 Chronicles 1 and verse 10. It says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And what was God's answer to Solomon? He said, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honour, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not even asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. So notice the motive of Solomon's prayer. He was the king. And if you've watched over the last 12 months as we've welcomed a new king in our name, you you know, you look at at the king, don't you? And what do you see? You see opulence, you see riches, you see people running round after him, you know, sorting everything out for him. Kings, I know our king doesn't govern in the way that Solomon would because we have a different system, but... You know, kings have benefits in life. And Solomon could have said, well, God, now I'm here. I want a long life to lead these people. Or, or God, I I want riches. Or, God, I don't want any enemies. I want peace. Those aren't bad prayers. But actually, he says, what I need most is wisdom and knowledge to govern these people. That was his motive. Wasn't asking for more comfort. He wasn't asking for God to annihilate the enemies. He wasn't even asking for longevity. He asked for wisdom and knowledge and God gave them to him. And God will give us wisdom too when we come to him and ask when we're facing trials. But we have to believe. Don't go back to your normal reactions. When you've asked for wisdom, believe God has given it to you. As you sit in his presence, expect to get some ideas of how to handle the situation you face. Let those ideas come. And if you've asked God for wisdom and those ideas that are are in line with the scripture, then that is God speaking to you. Read the word. If you don't get an answer straight away, wait on him. Dig those roots down deep. His timing is perfect. So I don't know today whether you've identified, well, I'm a bit of a fixer, or I'm a bit of a blamer, or I'm a bit of a stick med in the sand and it'll go away kind of person. Or I've got a trial and actually I'm in panic mode right now. I hope that something that you've heard today will just remind you to steady your spirit. Just steady your spirit and say, actually, God, this is the issue. Give me wisdom to deal with it in the way that you want me to. Let that trial be for your glory. Let me persevere through it. Whatever happens, yes, you may take it away. Yes, I may be healed. Yes, I may have financial provision. But while I'm in this trial, God, give me your perseverance that I will end up more mature and complete as a result of trusting in you. And as we draw to a close today, I just wonder if there's anyone who feels actually, you know, I want someone to pray for me today. And if you do, 
This is going to be brave, but I'd like you to just stand where you are, if you can, or wave your hand if you can't. And uh, that will give us an opportunity to pray for people. So I'm just looking if anybody wants us to pray for them. Okay, yeah, there's some people. Okay, if you're able to stand, stand or keep your hands up. If you're near one of these people, would you mind just turning around and just spending a moment praying for them? Yeah? I can't get round everybody, but if you could just turn around, have a look. There's uh, someone at the back as well, Christian at the back. Let's just gather round people. Pray for them. Thank you.